Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome to Soul to Soul, right here on 101.9 Hi FM. I'm your host Rabbi Ari Kievman, and we are very excitedly getting ready to celebrate Rosh Hashanah. Yet we know that Rosh Hashanah is known by several names in Judaism. Actually, the Torah calls it Yom Teruah, the day of trumpeting, meaning the day on which we blow the shofar, of course. The Talmud calls it Rosh Hashanah, head of the new year, since it's obviously the day that marks the creation, not of the universe. In fact, yesterday would have been the day that we commemorate that, but the creation of the very first human beings, Adam and Eve, which is when the new year starts according to the Jewish calendar, because the whole purpose, the raison d'etre of all of existence is for humanity, for us to achieve, to fulfill the purpose of why the world was created. But we know that also in our prayers, we refer to it as Yom Hazikaron, the day of remembrance. And Kiddush that we're going to recite on Sunday night and Monday night at our dinner tables, we conclude with the words that Hashem, blessed be Hashem, Melech al-Kol Ha'aretz, right? Mekadesh Yisrael, the Yom Hazikaron. You want to get a good chance to practice it. Melech al-Kol Ha'aretz, Mekadesh Yisrael. Right? Hashem is the king of the entire universe who sanctifies Israel. The Yom Hazikaron. And the day of remembrance. But what exactly is this day of remembrance that we emphasize? We ask God to remember us, as we know from the Torah that when God remembers someone, this fact brings that person blessing and assistance in all matters of their life in tremendous abundance. And this fact is seen on Rosh Hashanah when we read from the Torah portion. On we're going to read about the the childless. Our matriarch, Sarah Imenu, who was childless, struggled with infertility. And we read, Vahashem Sarah, that God remembered Sarah. What happened after God remembered her? The Torah tells us that shortly thereafter, she gave birth to a son. And in a like manner, we read how Hashem remembered Rachel Imenu. And shortly thereafter, she conceived and had a child. So you have numerous examples that we very much want God to remember us for the good and to give us a good and sweet year. But we all know that in Judaism, there's a concept of midah k'negad midah, measure for measure. So if we want God to remember us, then my dear friends, we must remember Hashem. So how do we remember God? You know, recently at a Chabad center somewhere in the United States, there was a Russian immigrant family that celebrated the bat mitzvah of their daughter. The family had not marked a bar bat mitzvah in over a hundred years because, as you might understand, doing so in Russia during the communist era, during that regime, was basically impossible. Before their party began in the U.S., this American-born Jew approached the Chabad rabbi and he asked, he said, I don't understand, how did Jews from the former Soviet Union success, how did they succeed in maintaining their Jewish identity? It's one thing for a Jew in America, the free democracy, 
where a, a Jewish boy typically gets a bris and goes to Jewish school, even if they go to public school, they get some kind of Hebrew school, after school education, particularly places that are serviced by Chabad, which all 50 of the United States and so many over 100 countries around the world, and there are Chabad day schools or after school programs. My brother is a shliach in Florida, and they have hundreds of kids who go to public schools, but after school they'll come to the Chabad house and they will experience Judaism coming to life so that's understandable. In America, a child's going to have a bar mitzvah because it's part, it's the norm. But in Russia, there were no, I mean, circumcision, you know how difficult it was. It was against the law for a Jewish child to get a bris there. Doing a bris could get them a few years in Siberia, in the Gulag. Whoever dreamed of a Hebrew school, a bar mitzvah in Russia. So how did those Jews, he's asking the rabbi, how did they succeed in standing strong? What gave them the strength to protect their Jewish identities? And the shliach answered him, he said, the first time a Jewish boy in Russia got beaten up in school was because he was Jewish and was called Zhid or Ivreska. And despite not being sure whether he was really a Jew in the first place, because his parents never even told him about the fact. And this beating was sort of his bris you know, figuratively speaking. The second beating was a Siddur party. A small celebration, you know, my my kid, I recently went to Torah Academy to celebrate my daughter's Siddur party. You know, where they give the first graders and receive their first Jewish prayer book. And he said the third time was the Bar Mitzvah. After all that, after all those beatings, so to say, that was his bar mitzvah, he's confirmed a complete Jew, being beaten for being Jewish. So in Russia, the Chabad rabbi was explaining, it wasn't hard at all to remember that you're Jewish. Now the, you would get those reminders from the anti-Semites. They would remind us very well at every opportunity, any chance they had to remind us how Jewish we are. In America though, it's easy to forget very easy to forget our true identity, who we are, where we come from, where we're headed. So in America, a person has to seek means to ensure the fact that they are Jewish and to remember it. And above that, that our children, that our family, the continuity, the perpetuation of our Judaism continues. On Rosh Hashanah, Hashem Pakad, Hashem remembered Sarah. We do what we can to remember Hashem. There's an ancient custom to make a haklata, to resolve, to keep a new mitzvah in the coming year that perhaps we didn't observe until now. So on Rosh Hashanah, let us take on now as we get ready, extra mitzvahs, any mitzvah that will remind ourselves and our children every day of their Jewish identities. Let's recite Shema with more kavana. Make sure every night before you go to sleep, you recite the Shema with the children before they go to bed. Let's recite Moda'ani. First thing the children wake up, they give acknowledgement and recognition, thanking Almighty God for restoring their soul first thing as they get up in the morning. Let's make sure that our kids give some money to charity every day. These are Jewish practices. These are the mitzvahs that we do that we remind ourselves what it means to, Jew, to be a Jew. Whatever it is, we could come up with our own creative and original ideas on how to remind ourselves and our children how to celebrate our Yiddishkeit and, and not just to live it, but to celebrate it. That our Judaism should be more joy and less oi. Whether it's 
singing more Jewish songs at home. We're putting a mezuzah, making sure you have mezuzahs on every, on every valid door in the home. Think of whatever mitzvah it takes. Doesn't matter what it is. That's what reminds you and reminds God that we are Jews. And then, as we strive to remember God every day, or at least not to forget Him, what do we say in the, hash, in, in, in the prayers on Rosh Hashanah? Ashrei ha'ish, happy is the person who doesn't forget you. And then God, who is described in the Zohar as the person's mirror, God will remember us for goodness and for blessing and grant us a really good and sweet year. And as we're going to read the Parsha, the Shabbos, the portion of Nitzavim, the portion starts off, Atem Nitzavim Hayom. You are all standing this day. This symbolizes the idea that we all stand together in a certain sense, in a way of unity. Atem Nitzavim, the Torah lists all the different types of people, or at least some categories from the heads of your tribes to Ziknechem, your elders, all the officers, and it continues, the children, the women, the strangers, all the people, the woodchopper to the water drawer, from the greatest, so to say, to the lowest, in God's eyes, there's no such thing as a difference between somebody who's greater or lower, we're all sophisticated, we're all important in God's eyes. One might think, why does it say, Atemnit Savim, that you're standing? Shouldn't we be holchim, maybe more moving, advancing? Isn't that the Jewish way? I mean, we're going to read in two weeks' time the portion of Vayelach, that Moshe Rabbeinu to his very day kept going. Jewish law is called halacha, which means to walk, to walk in the ways of Hashem. But maybe another way of understanding this is the fact that we stand, we stand together. God is not going to judge us on Rosh Hashanah and measure our outcome, our results, when we look back at the past year and we want a good judgment on this holy day. God looks at our input. What have we invested in our relationship? How, what have we done to remember Hashem, that Hashem should remember us? That's the question. And each of us can do so in our own unique way. The famous story that once in the Shul of the Baal Shem Tov, there was a young boy who came in, and this child didn't know how to read the Hebrew, couldn't read the Siddur, couldn't read from the Machsar, didn't know how to participate in the prayers. It was his first time coming. This child was a, a Jewish peasant, a farmer. He didn't know much. But one thing he knew he was talented in was imitating the crow of a rooster. So what did this child do? He did what he knew best, and he started making the sounds of a rooster and was crowing. And some people looked at him, as you can imagine, and said, hey, Arais, who needs this child? They're making strange noises and sounds in the shul. But the Baal Shem Tov said, no, this child, he, his prayer is most accepted and appreciated and cherished on high. Just imagine, Hashem doesn't distinguish, doesn't differentiate, doesn't discriminate between us. It's the input, it is the effort that each of us puts in. And that's what we have to remember, that each of us, in Hashem's eyes, did we do our part? Did we remember? Did we do something to celebrate our identity, remembering we're indispensable to God's plan? The fact that God put us here is because we matter, because we are of vital importance. And in Rosh Hashanah, we celebrate the birth of man to realize we're not here by mistake. It's no accident that we exist. We're here for a purpose. And we ought to fulfill our purpose. You know, in last week's Parsha, we read the Tochecha, the rebuke of the Jewish people, and included some really harsh, severe consequences for us, God forbid, betraying the words of the Torah, Hashem's commandments. And unfortunately, many of those 
consequences came to fruition, as we all know. And one of the commentaries says, the Jews were asking Moshe, how could we survive after all of these terrible, horrible things that would befall us? Which we know so many of them did. In fact, story I once heard from Rabbi, I'm forgetting his name, the Rabbi from Migdala Emek, very famous rabbi in Israel, uh, the disco rabbi is known, Rabbi Grossman. And he was once in Europe and he came across a antique shop and there he popped into the store and the fellow sold him a wallet that he once received from the child of a Nazi. And what the child told the shopkeeper was that on Kristallnacht, in 19, November 1938, when these Nazis were looting and breaking the glass and destroying Jewish property, vandalizing Jewish property in in Europe, in Germany, this Nazi, in fact, took out his pocket knife and before burning down the shoe, decided to take a memento and cut a piece out from the Holy Sefer Torah, from the Torah scroll. And what piece, Rabbi Grossman was curious, what piece of the Torah did this man make his memento wallet out of? So he opened the wallet and saw it was the Tochacha. It was this harsh rebuke that we read in last week's Parsha. And one wonders, how can the Jewish people survive through all of these struggles, challenges, difficulties throughout our history? We know all the way back to Pharaoh in Egypt who enslaved us and all the way throughout our history from the destruction of the temples and through the Hanukkah and Purim stories. Purim and Hanukkah, Purim came first and the Babylonian exile and then, in, and then inquisitions and crusades and murders and all types of horrible, horrible situations that our people had to endure. How would we survive? How is it even possible for us to survive? And yet we know that Judaism is, we haven't just survived, but we thrive despite the pogroms and holocaust and all the horrible things that have befallen our people throughout our history. And perhaps it's that same message about 10 Mitzavim, that we stand strong, we stand strong with each other, we're united as one, and therefore we're able to overcome these obstacles and difficulties, no matter how challenging they might be, we can transcend them. And this, of course, is certainly a powerful message for us, because when we stand strong, tall, and proud of our Judaism, then it always comes to our benefit. Just last week, when Chief Rabbi Mervis, the Chief Rabbi of the United Kingdom, who was invited to speak or to be present at an event at Buckingham Palace, he was invited by the new King Charles, and they didn't know that they scheduled the event for something like 6 p.m. last week, Friday. And it was a little bit of a concern because you know that Shabbos is starting to come in earlier in Europe. Shabbos was coming in close to 7 o'clock. And the rabbi had a little bit of a conundrum what he should do. And it's quite an amazing story. As I'm, as I'm telling it to you, I'm actually Googling it here and I see it comes up in the Jerusalem Post. And it mentions as follows, a special meeting of senior British faith leaders with King Charles. I hear it's written in the future, actually. It's written saying that will take place earlier than planned. And this is a great gesture that the king made. He moved the event to accommodate Shabbos. Isn't that incredible? He actually moved the event to accommodate the chief rabbi's Shabbos observance requirement. And I think that's, that's quite amazing. And I'm told that afterwards, in fact, King Charles offered Chief Rabbi Mervis to leave a little bit earlier, understanding that he needed to get back home in time for Shabbos. 
And Chief Rabbi Mervis said he made a plan where he won't break any of the protocol and still be able to observe Shabbos and was very grateful to the king's kind gesture of accommodating his Shabbos requirement. Just to think about that. Just to think about when we stand tall, proud of our identity, of who we are. There's another famous story about his own mother, Queen Elizabeth, who passed away last week. That once, when Rabbi Mervyn Heyer was at a function at Buckingham Palace, and they accommodated his kosher dietary requirements. And what happened was, in the middle of the meal, Queen Elizabeth said, let's move around, and everyone's going to move to another table. The rabbi had a little dilemma, what should he do? because they only gave him one set of kosher dishes. And it would be insulting to the palace when, after all, they went out of their way to accommodate his kosher requirements. And now because he leaves his cutlery behind and crockery, he won't be able to eat the next course of the meal. So the rabbi made a decision to actually carry his plates and cutlery to the next table where they were going to change places. And on the way, he met with Prince Philip who asked him why he's doing that. This is Buckingham Palace, after all. You don't have to move your dishes. To which the rabbi started to explain to him the significance of kosher. And Queen Elizabeth joined in the conversation. And there was another barrister present who was also being honored for his wonderful work, who said to them, you know, I'm also Jewish. To which the queen and prince asked, then where are your kosher dishes? You see, Jews who respect themselves, who respect their Judaism, are respected by others. We have to be told proud of our Jewish identity, of who we are. And there's no doubt that we will be honored and respected for that. Atem Nitzavim, you stand tall and strong. You remember God, and God remembers you. And others honor, remember, and respect you too. And this, of course, is our task now as we approach Rosh Hashanah, but of course, all of the time. We'll be right back. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul Radio on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Yari Kivman. And as we're talking about getting ready for Rosh Hashanah, which is only a few days away, it is certainly a time after two years of lockdown and many people being weary and skeptical and concerned and obviously being extra safe. Finally, it's time to return to shul, to be back and to celebrate with community, with friends, and doing everything that we need to, to be ready to celebrate a fabulous and amazing Rosh Hashanah. So, of course, I think the last two years have certainly shown us that nothing can replace the camaraderie of friends sitting around together and joining with community for this for the, for the solemnity and the, the deeply meaningful prayers. This is certainly something that we need to take, not for granted, as we know from the past two years. So let's see how we could make this Rosh Hashanah all the more so special and deeply meaningful and make it the best that it's ever been. Make up perhaps for the lack of guests in the last two years by inviting more guests and being more together. So make sure that we are ready for this day in the best way possible. Now, Rosh Hashanah, as we discussed before, it's the first day of the Jewish calendar year, and it is a day of fresh beginnings. No matter what happened last year, on Rosh Hashanah, we can turn over a new leaf. We start fresh in our personal lives, in our social lives, in our professional lives, and obviously, most meaningfully and importantly, in our spiritual lives, in our connection with others, and in our connection with Almighty God. So, my friends, Rosh Hashanah is also called Yom Hadin. 
as we discussed. It's a day of judgment. All living beings, everyone passes before God. And Almighty God Hashem decides our destiny for the year. So prayer and repentance are therefore the major themes of this holiday. We don't just come into the holiday. We prepare for it, as we've been discussing. How do we prepare? Well, we'll talk about preparing physically, and we'll talk about preparing spiritually. Because Rosh Hashanah is the birthday of humanity, the time when Adam and Eve were created. So we mark this day, the day that humanity was born. We don't... We didn't celebrate yesterday the anniversary of creation of the world because the entire God-given purpose of the universe is only fulfilled through us, through humanity. And therefore, this is an appropriate time for us to reflect on and to commit to our unique individual purpose. Why did God put me here in the first place? Our sages tell us that Adam's first step towards fulfilling his purpose was to invite all of creation, every created being, from the inanimate, mineral, to the vegetative, to the animals, everyone to crown, to coronate God as King of the Universe. Every year on this day, on Rosh Hashanah, we do the same. And as you'll notice in the Machsar, throughout our prayers, or through the Shofar, we coronate God as the King of the world, and that we submit ourselves to Hashem's rule. And so to celebrate all these ideas, there's a whole comprehensive formula, which includes our prayers and teshuva, deep self-introspection, and yes, celebration. It's not a sad time, but it's a joyous time. Family meals and all the rituals that we do that we celebrate Rosh Hashanah with. But of course, you don't just rock up at an important event just such as this. Planning and preparation are the key to every successful event in life. As they say, proper, Preparation and planning prevents poor performance. So if we want to have a pleasant and beautiful and celebratory Yom Tov, then we have to take the time now in the coming days and go through whatever process it takes to prepare and to make sure that we are readily prepared for this holiday. So start thinking now. You come home today, Make sure, if you haven't already done so, that your machzer's out. If you don't have one, get to the bookshop. Make sure you get one now. The machzer includes all the prayers and the kiddush and the benching and everything that you need for all the prayers of Rosh Hashanah. I, I say this many times to many people. As much as it's nice to be able to say all of the prayers, if that is not possible for you, at least to look through the machzor and find the particular prayers that maybe more so resonate with you, that you feel a personal connection with. And focus on those, have some extra kavana on those particular prayers. Of course, it's not only about prayer. We talked about food. And what would Jewish holidays be without food? So make sure that you get all that food ready. You just have a few days left, whether it means going to your preferred kosher supermarket and purchasing, getting all the dishes or or, or buying ready-made stuff. Well, lots of wonderful caterers in our community. And there's some unique items that you have to make sure to get, including around sweet challahs and wine, especially all the other traditional symbolic Rosh Hashanah foods that I'll get to in a moment. So this is the time to get all these things prepared, having all your candles 
ready to light for Yom Tov and to have a Yisker candle, a memorial candle, not because we don't say Yisker Rosh Hashanah, but the longer candle will help you because you have to have a pre-existing flame from which to light. So if you're going to have a bra, you want to light your Yom Tov candles the second night, you need to be able to have a pre-existing flame from which to light it. So you have to make sure that that's taken care of. Make sure you'll be at shul if you haven't booked seats. Guess what? There's a shul in Santon Central. That's mine. Or any other shul. No doubt shuls will welcome anyone who wants to come in. All the shuls have open doors. And you come to the shul. Make sure you be there. If you, for whatever reason you can't make it to shul, remember the main mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah is to hear the shofar. There will be lots of shofar in the park ceremonies. I know that we are going to have at multiple places. We've coordinated to have volunteers go blow shofar at various hospitals and nursing facilities. And if you know somebody who is in a retirement home who needs a shofar blown, please touch base with me so we can make sure that they will be able to hear the shofar or if they're, if they're hospital bound or if they're homebound. We can touch base with the rabbi who's closest to where that individual lives and to make sure that they will hear the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. But of course, all these preparations, one other very important one that we discuss here is to prepare ourselves spiritually for Rosh Hashanah. In the days leading up to Rosh Hashanah, we have to set aside time to reflect on our behavior in the past year, to take stock and to make resolutions on how we can improve in the coming year. They say New Year's resolutions go in one year out the other, but it's important that we resolve now to become better, to improve. And this is about, this is not about, you know, hurting ourselves, uh, you know, blaming ourselves for our faults, for our shortcomings, but rather to acknowledge, to recognize, to realize in which areas we've excelled and in what areas perhaps we can be a little bit more, where we can improve a little bit better. After all, it's only the attitude. We know that Rosh Hashanah, Shana has multiple meanings, like many words in Hebrew. Take the word Shalom, for example. Shalom can mean hello, it can mean goodbye, it can mean peace. Well, Shana also has multiple meanings. Shana can mean year, Rosh Hashanah, the beginning of the year. It's also to repeat, and Shana could also mean to change. We don't want to just repeat last year. We don't want just a, a repetition of the past. Every day we keep on growing. Yes, when we stand before Hashem on this day of judgment, Hashem sees what efforts we've put in. It's not just about the results. We have to be honest with ourselves and know which areas we could improve on. And therefore, we wish each other a Shana Tava, a good year. It's not just about a good year because we don't want it to be a repetition of the previous year, which is also Shana, but it should be about the change. We want to implement good changes in our life and we do so by reflecting in the year that was and resolving to improve for the coming year. So seize this opportunity that just as Shana means time, yes, there's a, there's a it's a time change. We're transitioning to another year. But to implement the positive changes, the shofar wakes us up that we should have the, the, the right changes that we need in our life. Some people say the goal of life is to accumulate so much stuff. How many toys, how many things, how many gadgets could I have? How big is my car, my house, my this, my that? But let's think about what's really, truly, and most importantly, meaningful. And that is our relationships with our fellow human beings, as well as our relationship with Almighty God. So don't neglect that, remember that. And 
very important, very importantly, that's how we get ready and prepared. Of course, let's launch right into the actual day of Rosh Hashanah, how we get straight into it. Rosh Hashanah Eve, that's this coming Sunday, we are going to light the candles. Now, candle lighting time, depending where in the world you are, is 18 minutes before the sun sets. Here in Johannesburg, that is approximately, in my mind, at 5.45 or so, maybe just after that. Maybe on Sunday, it's 5.47 already, according to the calendar. So, but wherever you are, you need to check. But unlike a Shabbos, when if you're delayed, you cannot light candles after sunset, on Rosh Hashanah, as a holiday, you actually can. You can light later if you forgot, and some people like to light just by their meal, but it is the customary way of ushering in the holiday. So ideally, we should be lighting the candles 18 minutes before sunset when we welcome the holiday itself. And I don't forget on the second night, you are going to light after the stars come out, which here in Johannesburg, that's at 6.37 p.m. So many people wind up lighting just as just before Kiddush, which can be done, but don't light before 6.37 because it's only the previous day. Of course, after candle lighting, everyone makes their way to shul. And considering that we're already past COVID, unless one is unwell, if you're unwell and staying at home, then of course you find a suitable location, you know, at a, at a, at a table or in front of a wall, a nice comfortable place to sit or stand and to be able to, to daven. And if you have company at home, then you want to invite your family, whoever's with you, to daven with you. But of course, if you're at home, you don't have a minion and can't answer certain prayers. But ideally, the best place would be is to be at shul. And it's not a long service on Rosh Hashanah night. And even Rosh Hashanah day, it's worthwhile and important to be there and to make that extra effort. After all, we want God to bless us. So we have to put in some effort too to get that reciprocity from above. Now the evening service, which is called Mayrev, it, you know, depending which machzor you have, but the service is fairly similar in all machzorim. It's not a Shabbos night, so it's going to start with the Kaddish, again, depending on the tradition, and there is the fame tune. Ta-da, da-da, 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 that's the tune of the Rosh Hashanah Kaddish. And get ready, get in the mode, get in the mood. The first two blessings are similar to a regular evening. Now, of course, the Shema, we always recite the Shema. It's a daily prayer, but it's the most fundamental and most popular Jewish prayer because it encapsulates the theme of Rosh Hashanah itself. On this day, Adam and Chava, Adam crowned God as king of the universe, and everywhere on this day, we do the same. So we stand before Hashem, we declare our allegiance to God. It's a very powerful moment that really leaves us feeling uplifted and, and humbled. The fact that we exist, the fact that God needs me, to speak to God is a really elevating experience and it's incredibly humbling to know that Hashem pays careful attention to us and scrutinizes our hearts as we speak to Him. So the Shema certainly should be said with the extra kavana. Of course, the prayers are similar to a regular evening service, certainly to a Shabbos one, but where it gets different and new is the Amidah. The Amidah, which is the central prayer of our 
it's a central part of every prayer service where we stand with our feet together in silent devotion. We take three steps backward and three steps forward, which is like the steps you take standing before a king. And we visualize ourselves approaching Almighty God as He is in His sublime throne in heaven. And that's when we say the Amidah. Every Amidah has its theme. The theme of the Rosh Hashanah Amidah is our heartfelt plea that the world embrace God as its creator, as its sovereign, and that we revere Hashem, and that we tremble in all before Hashem's majestic grandeur. We know that we have to open our hearts to God with sincerity, but regardless of how open we are, there's this unbridgeable gap between finite us and infinite God. And so today we can only believe in God, but we, we don't physically see Hashem, right? We don't really know God. And, you know, Hashem said this to Maishu Rabbeinu. No person could see me and live. But we pray for the time when Mashiach comes. Because then we will see Hashem physically with our own fleshly corporeal eyes. And we'll know God with the same intimacy that we know ourselves. And so, when we pray the Amidah, we should really focus and remember that particular aspect that we look forward to, that the world, just as we pray for change, as Shana could also mean change, we know that we want that that positive change should happen, that we will ultimately merit the coming of Mashiach and speedily in our times, in our lifetime, so we could personally know God better and have that real intimate experience with Hashem, you know, as we're going to even say the Anasana talk of prayer on both days of Rosh Hashanah as well as Yom, as Yom, on Yom Kippur. What is this idea? It's not just about a physical experience that we have in this world, but our emotional, spiritual one. The intimacy, you know what intimacy is? Into me see. And we know that Hashem sees into us like, like an x-ray machine. God sees and knows what we lack. And so on Rosh Hashanah, we want to be able to see God as well. And we express that in our prayers, asking for redemption, which actually we do at the very beginning of the Amidah, as we do with any Amidah. We start off with exactly those words, asking Hashem to resurrect the dead so that we could be reunited with God and have that ultimate experience. And as you go through the Amidah itself, you know, for example, we have these words, We ask Hashem to make everything know that you, Hashem, have made it. How many of us forget that, neglect that? We, we become accustomed to thinking, you know, we're self-running autonomous individuals. We say the, that every... That everything that has been created should know that you, Hashem, created it. And everyone who has the breath of life in their nostrils should declare, Hashem Eloikei Yisrael HaMelech Humalkusai Ba'koyel Mashallah That Hashem is the King of the Universe and everything is under His dominion. So as you go through the Amidah, you'll notice the themes, the genre of the Rosh Hashanah Amidah, what makes it unique and why that's the launching pad, the opening of the Rosh Hashanah service. Of course, there's a lot more to talk about specifically related to Rosh Hashanah. So I 
probably shouldn't get stuck on specifics. But let's talk about, there's another psalm that we, re, that we recite, Psalm 24 from Tehillim, that we say on Rosh Hashanah evening, and it's actually a prayer for sustenance. L'david mizmoir l'ashem haaretz melaya tevel We describe how the earth and everything in it, the whole world, all its inhabitants, are all creations of Hashem. Every year on Rosh Hashanah, God consents to animate the world for a term of another year. And this means that at the beginning of the first night of Rosh Hashanah, our term terminates, it comes to its conclusion, and the world is on probation. Will God agree to give us another year? That depends on how much we deserve it. And knowing that our future hangs in this balance, we are reciting this Psalm 24 with, with trembling and fervor. We recognize that during the course of the year, we may have placed our health in the hands of medical experts and our prosperity in the hands of maybe our employers and, and government and others. And we perhaps forgot that everything really truly comes from Hashem. So on this, as we approach the evening of Rosh Hashanah, we recognize that perhaps maybe we're not always so honest and that our hearts are not always pure. And on Rosh Hashanah, we recommit ourselves to God. We declare our allegiance to Hashem as the one and only King of the entire universe. And we hope that God will forgive our past shortcomings and Hashem will judge us by the resolutions that we make to improve, to become better. So those are some of the unique aspects of the Rosh Hashanah evening prayer. We conclude the evening. Before leaving Shul, we wish each other L'shana Toiva Tikaseh V'sichaseh some people add, that we should all be inscribed and sealed for a good year, for peace, for prosperity, for all the things we want. Our sages tell us that we have the power to grant blessings. It doesn't cost you anything to grant a blessing to somebody. So be liberal in your blessing people in abundance. Utilize the powers that you have to bless others with an open, sincere, genuine heart. And... This is a greeting that we give specifically on Rosh Hashanah night because we know that this is the time that the judgment's coming. So we want the best for each other. And it's only said on the first night because we want to make sure that we're all inscribed and sealed for a good year and therefore seize the opportunity, Rosh Hashanah evening, to bless your friends and your family with a full and open heart and make sure that all the blessings you wish for, that you give to others, as well. We'll be right back in a few moments and we'll talk about Rosh Hashanah dinner. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kivman. Great to be with you here. Cannot believe how the time is flying so quickly. So, considering that Rosh Hashanah is just a few days away. We're going to be taking this opportunity now to talk a little bit about how we could be prepared for Rosh Hashanah properly. And before we talked about making sure to do all your shopping that's necessary for Rosh Hashanah, getting prepared and ready. So here are a few things to think about that you need for your Rosh Hashanah meals in order to be properly, properly prepared. So we know that part of the Rosh Hashanah dinner, of course, Kiddush, you need to have the right wine. Make sure it's a wine that's not going to get you intoxicated, but rather a nice, pleasant, enjoyable one. And then we wash our hands to eat the challah. Unlike the rest of the year when we just eat braided challahs and dip it in salt, on Rosh Hashanah, we are gonna eat round 
challahs, because there's a lot of symbolic foods that are customary to be eaten in Rosh Hashanah. And all these symbolic foods that I want to talk about that we make sure you have in your shopping list are all filled with all types of beautiful symbolism. Many, you know, the, the, the round challah, for example, symbolizes our hope that as a round challah has no formal end, we want that all our blessings for the year should be endless. And all the other foods that we eat, don't think about you're going to take the challah, we're going to dip it into honey. We want a sweet year. Um, and now we're going to get to the apple and the honey in a moment as well. We'll talk about that. When we ask Hashem, we make a bracha on the apple, and we say, that it should be Hashem's will to renew for us a good and sweet year. The apple is naturally sweet. It comes off the tree already sweet. The honey takes work for it to become what it is. It comes from a bee that stings, and then it takes a lot of bees to produce the honey that you're going to need at your Rosh Hashanah table. So we realize two lessons. Firstly, we have the sting, which we want to transform. We want that to lead into sweetness. Because regardless what stings we may have experienced in the past year, how can it transform the negativity, the hardships, the challenges, the struggles, into happiness, joy, and sweetness, like the honey, which comes from a bee as well. But more than that, the honey didn't just come naturally. It took a lot of work and effort. And at the end of the day, you realize that brings a much greater sweetness than the naturally sweet apple that you dip into the honey. And I think it's a profound lesson for all of us that it's the effort we put in that will reap the best results because we put in that, we, we made that input, that effort. And that's what Hashem will judge us for. So that will be the sweetest is the honey. So there's other Symbolic foods that we could go through very quickly. Pomegranates, very famous. We want our merits to be as numerous as the seeds in a pomegranate. The Gemara tells us that Kol Yisrael, every single Jew, is Malayan. It says, Afilu Paisha Yisrael, even the sinners are filled with merits, like a pomegranate is filled with seeds. Somebody once asked the Rebbe, he said, he doesn't understand. How could you say a Paisha Yisrael, a sinner, is filled with merits? If he's a sinner, how could he have so many merits? And if you take the Rebbe's attitude, the Rebbe's perspective, you reverse the question back on that Jew. And he said, I looked at the same piece of Gemara. And my question is the opposite. If he's filled with so many merits, how can he be a sinner? You should have the right attitude. And that, of course, when we look at the symbolism, which we eat ahead of a fish, we want to be a head, not a tail in the ear. That is also a very powerful lesson and message because that's one of the Nice customs of Rosh Hashanah that we say that we should be for a head and not for a tail. Now, of course, there's other customs like carrots. You know, the Hebrew, the Yiddish word for carrots is merin, which means numerous. So we want to have numerous merits and blessings and everything in our life, you know, should multiply. The blessings should multiply. Also, the, the Hebrew word for carrot is gezer, which is related to the word gezerah, that we want a good decree for the coming year. But when we talk about the eating the fish head, you know, it's, it's always disconcerting to have those little tiny eyeballs staring up at you while you're eating the flesh off its torso. You know, it could really ruin the appetite for the rest of the meal. That's why my wife makes sure to, to get uh, candy fish, sweets, uh, marshmallows, so the kids could, could enjoy that custom as well. But 
what is the symbolism? What kind of prayer is this that we should be ahead and not a tail? Imagine if everyone was a leader and everyone was giving their own instructions. Imagine if everyone becomes, if everyone's the rabbi in shul. Now, we have enough trouble putting up with one rabbi. If everyone were rabbis, it would simply be a disaster, right? There's a well-known joke that it's impossible to be a prime minister in Israel because every Israeli is a prime minister. On Rosh Hashanah, we're praying that we should all be heads and not tails. Well, we all want to be leaders. What's going on? But there's a very interesting story. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi once accompanied Eliyahu Navi to a city where they weren't welcomed very respectfully. Nobody offered them food. Nobody accommodated them. Nobody was nice and hospitable. So on his way out of the city, Eliyahu Navi blessed them. He said, you should all be leaders. When they arrived in the next city, they were greeted very warmly, very, you know, very pleasantly. And he blessed them that there should only be one leader among them. So Rabbi Yeshua, of course, he was confused. He said, why you, why to the greedy people you wish them they all be leaders and the warm, generous, kind, hospitable people, you gave them that they should all follow one leader. But we know the answer, of course. Not too many leaders are a recipe for disaster. Too many cooks spoil the broth. So why are we praying that we should all be leaders? There's a Hasidic story that sheds some light on this issue that I want to share. Two little sons of one of the Rebbe's were, were playing, you know, they were playing Rebbe and Chassid. And, you know, one came to the other for advice as Chassidim come to the Rebbe for counsel. And the younger brother was, the Chassid explained that he had a certain problem and he wanted his Rebbe's advice and blessing. The older brother, the Rebbe, sitting there in his rabbinic chair, he advised the little boy how to deal with his problems. He gave him a blessing for success. And the other one said, no, nah, you can't be a Rebbe. Your blessing's not a blessing. He was so offended. He said, why, why can't I be a, a Rebbe? And his younger brother explained, he said, when I ever see Tati, who's the Rebbe, whenever I see him dealing with somebody, having a meeting, obviously, if it's a meeting that I'm allowed to attend, I always hear Tati's response starts off with a sigh, a krechts. He says, oi. And he says, you didn't give that krechts. Obviously, you want to be, you want less oil, more joy. But when we hear somebody else's problem, we want to be able to hear and empathize and sympathize. So, just as the head contains the nerve center and feels the pain of each part of the body, a leader should be one who feels the pain of his people. So when we say that we should be Laroche to be ahead, we don't mean that we don't want to be the leaders. That might be a recipe for disaster. But we mean that we should all be able to feel each other's pain as though it's our own pain. And Rosh Hashanah, we try to be more leader-like in that respect. And so, my friends... The real challenge of being a leader sometimes is learning to feel not only the pain of others, but more so the joy of another person as if it's your own joy. When you meet somebody in the street and they tell you that they just closed on a huge deal, could you fargin? Could you be happy for them? As if it's your own personal joy that you were successful in such a deal? Can you tell them as if it was your own child, you just made my damn so happy for you? The Rebbe always asked people to inform him of good news. People often told the Rebbe about their problems, their, their, their illnesses, their diseases. He said, tell me about the good news. When God first asked Moshe Rabbeinu to go to Egypt at the burning bush, Moshe refused. One of the reasons that Moshe didn't want to go was that he didn't want to offend his older brother Aaron, who served as the people's leader in Egypt during their slavery. Now he was going to come get in the way. 
But it wasn't until God assured him that Aaron was actually on his way out of Egypt to greet Moshe Rabbeinu as the new leader that Aaron was rejoicing in his heart. And only then did Moshe agree to go, as the Medrash tells us. Human nature tells us that, you know, an older brother, happy as he is over his younger brother's success, somewhere deep down in his heart of hearts is jealous of the younger sibling's successes. Moshe Rabbeinu knew that this feeling is natural and he didn't want to cause Aaron any pain, any aggravation. But Aaron, even in his heart of hearts, truly rejoiced in Moshe Rabbeinu's appointment. And in this merit, Aaron earned his own appointment as the position of Kohen Gadol, the high priest. Because only a person who, who truly rejoices in the success of another could be a high priest, a leader of the Jewish people. My friends, in that sense, we should all be leaders. You don't have to become the, you know, you don't have to put on the strimal. I mean, if you want to, that's fine. But what I'm saying is to be a Rebbe, a leader in that sense, to feel the comfort and the discomfort that others are experiencing just like it is our own. And so, my friends, as you get ready for Rosh Hashanah, all the other customs, so many beautiful things to get ready for, I wish you all a fabulous, a meaningful, an amazing, and a really sweet, good year that, please God, we will all merit for us to have a fabulous year ahead. Wishing you Shana Tova Ometuka. Have a great Shabbos and Carpe Diem.